Psalm 103. This is our series called Cries from the Heart, uh, which is all about the Psalms. This is part 10. Uh, there's 150 Psalms, uh, but I won't do all 150, okay? But we're in some of the more significant, more well-known Psalms and uh, have been walking through uh, those. So today we're going to do Psalm 103 and uh, want to deal with the question today, why praise the Lord? Because the psalm starts with that phrase, praise the Lord, O my soul, says the writer. This is typically attributed to David, and we've done a lot of work looking at David's life because he pens like half of these psalms. Uh, but we need to pause, I think, and to reflect on this phrase, especially given it's the fifth year anniversary of this church. And uh, this phrase is so often used in Christian circles, and we use this term, praise the Lord. But I wonder, what is the first thing that you think of honestly when you hear the term praise the Lord? And you can go ahead and shout out a couple of answers, and if you're online, you can type something in the comments section. What do you think of when you hear that phrase? Okay, sing to the Lord, good. Pardon me? Greeting, okay. Rejoicing, wow, so nice and Christian answers. I don't think of that when I hear the term praise the Lord. I'll tell you what I think of in a minute. But anybody else? Pardon? Thanking the Lord, good, yeah. You're all good Christian folks. Okay, when I hear the term praise the Lord, and I wasn't raised in a, in a Christian home, uh, I think of the way that that term is actually mocked in culture. And when you tell a non-Christian person that term, probably you might even be embarrassed to say the term in front of a non-Christian. Some, some, sometimes you might be, and you might feel, if I say that in front of a non-Christian person, they're going to think I'm a little weird or whatever. But when you say that term in front of non-Christian people, unfortunately, the, the connotation is not that good. And uh, it can even be a little bit on the mocking side when they hear that. There's a movie that just opened that's playing in this theater uh, called The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And if you remember Tammy Faye Baker and Jim Baker and the PTL broadcast and Heritage USA and the whole thing, you know, came crashing down. And unfortunately, a lot of times when people in the broader culture hear this term, praise the Lord, they think of that. And they think of the televangelists and the scandals. And I don't know if I would recommend this movie to you. I've read one or two reviews and it's quite raw, maybe interesting, but quite raw. But for a lot of people in the broader culture, when they hear this term, they say, well, yeah, it's got those, those nutty Christians and their terminologies and their money-grabbing schemes. And they think of all these sort of stereotypical negative views of evangelical Christianity. But that really isn't what David has in mind at all when he pens this psalm and says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, the term praise we still use today, and in fact, we do it today all the time. Uh, we, we praise things all the time, and it simply means to uh, acknowledge and state the positive things about whatever the person, the object. We praise athletes all the time. Um, you know, I praise uh, Shohei Otani in my house all the time. 
But I don't, I don't, Shohei Otani isn't my God, okay? But praise is just this, well, we say, wow, that's so good. This person is so impressive, la, la, la. Do you know who Shohei Otani is? No, okay, no baseball fans in here, okay. But anyway, uh, so we, we praise uh, uh, athletes, and we praise actors, and we praise musicians, and we praise artists, and we even praise preachers. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. We praise scientists and we award them, give them awards and praise. We talk about all their accomplishments and all of their contributions. And we do that for all kinds of people, leaders, politicians. There's an election tomorrow, remember? Make sure you go out and vote. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. But, you know, politicians, we praise them sometimes, I suppose. We even praise material things. You know, look at that car, look at that Tesla, look at that, you know, and we praise those things and we state the things that we like about those things, those people, etc. And And that's all okay to do. But here, the psalmist is not praising all of those things. In fact, later on in the psalm, he's going to tell all those things to praise the Lord. In his mind, he's saying, I praise the Lord. And when he says that, he's, he's, he starts it this way, praise the Lord. And the word Lord there is, is the, what we call the tetragrammaton, the very personal name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah. It's sometimes pronounced praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. He's kind of talking to himself. He's kind of pushing himself to, with all of his being, to praise the Lord. In, in Hebrew thought, the soul was the person. So we didn't have, I mean, David, back in his day, you didn't have this whole developed theology, you know, about the body and the soul and the separation of the soul from the body at death. And some people say the body, the soul, the spirit, and all these details. Simply put, in the Hebrew mind, the soul was the person. In Genesis, God breathes into man and he becomes a living soul. The soul was the person. So when he says, praise the Lord, O my soul, he's talking to himself, his whole self. And he's saying, you, David, need to praise the Lord. He's, he's In a way, he's talking to himself. And he says, forget not all his benefits. So he's going to remind himself here of all of the attributes and things about God that he wants to state, but he very quickly is going to shift it on his readers. And the people who are reading this work, or maybe they were hearing it as it may have been sung or read, and he's really going to challenge his audience to do exactly what he does, and that is to praise the Lord. Why? Well, because you're prone probably to forget. We see this in the Bible over and over and over again. God does something maybe miraculous even in people's lives, and they're prone to forget. I mean, if you walk through the Red Sea, and then a week, two weeks, three weeks later, you start to grumble you start to complain. <laughs> Maybe you've forgotten what God did. Maybe you forgot that, well, if God can take you through a 
Red Sea, the ocean, you know, that you got on both sides and, and, you know, Pharaoh's army comes in and tries to destroy you and the water comes back. Well, if God can do that, then maybe God can do more. But we're very prone to forget. We see it in the Old Testament, in the nation of Israel. We see it even uh, in, our, in our own lives. Uh, many times people can testify to something that God has done in their lives and then days, weeks, months, maybe even years later, that, that whole experience is kind of gone. It's, it's a cob, there's cobwebs on it. It's, it's not relevant to them anymore. We're very, very prone to forget. This is why we do something like communion regularly. Whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why? Because we're prone to forget. Forget not all of his benefits. And he's going to start to go into what some of those benefits are. Rapidly he does this. So who forgives all our sins. David was in a place to know uh, with all of the mess in his own life that we looked at that was the backdrop for Psalm 51. It's not a coincidence that tops on the list was the forgiveness of sin. Uh, let me just, just state it. I probably say this often, but let me state it again. You are never going to appreciate what Christianity is you will never understand who Jesus is. You will never understand what the term good news means unless you first understand and know and are convicted about the bad news. And the bad news is that you and I are infected by sin. All of us are. It is an infection that's worse than any pandemic, any virus that has gone before us or will come before us. It is the worst disaster and predicament of humankind, and it's in your life and it's in my life. And if we do not recognize that bad news first, we will never understand Christianity. We will never understand Jesus. We will never understand the gospel because what the gospel is about is the forgiveness of sins. And that God in his grace and in his mercy looks at you through Jesus and says, you, my child, are clean. I do not hold your sin against you any longer. This is what the gospel is all about. This is why Jesus came. This is why he died on the cross. This is why he rose from the dead. But you will never get that unless you are convicted about your own sin. Unless you feel that sense of pull, that sense of addiction, that sense of desperation because of your sin, you will never get it. But when you come to a place where you realize, ah, yes, it is true. I have this thing inside of me that is destroying my life slowly but surely. And I am powerless to do anything about it. That's when Jesus becomes interesting to you. That's when the good news becomes good. When you understand the bad, you'll get the good. David most certainly did. Who forgives all our sins and heals all our or all your, now he's again exhorting his audience, all your diseases. And I can hear some of you say, 
well, uh, but, but God didn't heal this and God didn't heal this. You believe in divine healing. The writer believes in divine healing, but what, how, how is that even possible? Just before you go that, in that direction, he is not intending this to be some sort of legal argument that he has to defend against little details and little minutia. He's not writing this down so that someone will say, well, hold on, you know, didn't Jesus talk about the unpardonable sin? Well, hold on, what about this sickness that this person had that God didn't heal? Well, hold on, what about this, what about that? No, what he's doing is trying to state that God forgives and that God heals. Even in David's own life, if you survey his life, uh, look at what happened to the son of the result of the, the whole thing with Bathsheba. The son becomes ill and the son's life is taken. God did not heal that child. So even in David's own life, you could find an incident. Well, well, he didn't forgive. He didn't heal that particular disease. Now, did he, David? In no way is David trying to say in every single moment, in every single detail, in every single situation. No, he's just stating the general ability of God. He's a forgiver. He's a healer. He redeems your life from the pit. Redemption means to deem something or someone valuable again. And what sin does is it devalues a person, makes a person nothing, makes a person feel like nothing, makes a person feel lower than, than, than dirt. And what Jesus does is he redeems a person and calls them valuable again and calls them his child. And God establishes this relationship with this person. This is redemption. This is a, Jesus used the term to be born again. This is the ultimate statement of redemption. He redeems your life from the pit, from this place of darkness. He brings you up and brings you into a right standing, and He redeems you, who crowns you with love and with compassion. It's like a crown on your head. Wow, he seems to be very, very happy. He seems to be very overjoyed with this God who he is praising, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Very interesting simile that he's using there. And I'm going to have a little fun with you and put some eagles on the screen here. These are, uh, this is a, an image, a term that's used very often in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and this image of the eagle. And I found a really cool uh, website that uh, there was a, uh, a photographer who went and studied uh, the plumage of bal bald eagles. Bald eagles go through a very unique and fascinating um, cycle. Takes them about five years before they get to full plumage and their feathers are fully formed and everything. And it's like a complete transformation. It doesn't even look like the same bird. And what this photographer has done is taking us through this whole cycle of plumage. So here you see this, this eagle is very young and you say, well, that doesn't look much like a bald eagle. Where's the... 
where's the white color and the yellow beak and all of that? And what happens is over a period of about five years, you start to see these changes in this bird and you see the feathers start to change and you see the beak starts to change over months into years and you see a little bit more color start to happen there. And then you see the color underneath the wingspan there and you see the beak start to change you start to see changes even in the eye color of the bird and you see it's changing it's almost like a tr big transformation that happens in this in this animal you see more and more color and you see more white there on those wings amazing photographs and you start to see it change it's like wow what happened to that first picture well it's really it's the same species of bird but this is the transformation that it goes through and this is what it starts to look like as it gets into about its fifth year see that's a totally different animal no it isn't it's the same species but this is how it changes and it gets to this beautiful even handsome some people have used the term to describe these eagles incredibly majestic powerful animals when you watch them you watch them hunt and it's like incredible but there you see the one on the left is very very young the one on the right is about five years old, and that's the age where they're, they're uh, sort of declaring themselves as available <laughs> so that they can breed and so on. But you see this tremendous change in this bird. This may be what David's referring to when he says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow, he thinks a lot of good things about God, and he's encouraging his audience to praise the Lord. And you see, he continues to do this throughout the whole psalm. He, and he, he interchanges between the actions of God and the attributes of God. And he sort of flip-flops between them. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. We saw that over the last couple of weeks, how God has a way of bringing about justice, not only in this life, but in the life to come. He has a way of doing that. It takes time, but you can see his hand work situations and works circumstances over time. He works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Well, he takes them out of Egypt through the greatest uh, miracle in the Bible, the one that's cited the most often, the parting of the Red Sea and the bringing of the children of Israel ultimately into the land of Canaan. But what you see, how he works with that lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people, how he works them and how he changes them and how he molds them into the community that he wants them to be. This is kind of what we're looking at on uh, Wednesday nights. And we see God do this. He could have taken them into Canaan and in a, a totally different route, but he puts them out into the desert where, uh, in a sense, he has to get Egypt out of them, to borrow the term from Wednesday nights. They get out of Egypt, but he's got to get Egypt out of them. And, you know, it stands to reason they're there for four centuries, generations and generations of people stuck in slavery in Egypt, and he has to work with this, this, uh, this nation and, and 
and change them into what he wants them to be. He made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people. The Lord is gracious or is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. The reader would immediately know because of the reference to Moses in verse 7 that this is out of Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6 where the exact same statement is made uh, as God is giving the tablets to Moses right on the heels of a rebellion where Aaron and company make the golden calf. And so this is why David says he made his ways known to Moses. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Even in their moments of rebellion, God still worked with them, was still patient with them, still wanted them to to turn into the nation that he wanted them to be. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad? Oh, wow, that's, that's really weak. Aren't you glad? We call that mercy. <laughs> when we use the term, God have mercy, it's God do not give me what I deserve because what I deserve is not too good. This is the mercy of God that he is talking about for as high as the heavens are above the earth. Wow, that's quite a, a simile, right? You, you, what distance is that? He's trying to say it's kind of a limitless thing here. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him, those who uh, uh, worship him, those who honor him. Don't, don't be... Uh, uh, afraid of this word fear. It doesn't mean, oh, well, you know, God's going to throw a lightning bolt at me. God's going to do something bad to me. When the psalmist uses this term fear, it's more referring to a kind of reverence that the person has for God. By the way, he's not even talking about worship here. There's a difference in the Bible between the term praise and the term worship. You can, you can praise God, but not worship him. You can talk about God's great attributes and great things and not worship him. To worship him means that he becomes the center of your life. It means that you wake up in the morning and you think about him. You go to bed at night and you think about him. You're going through, he's the focus, the center of your life. You can worship and you can praise, but to, to worship God is something a little bit different than just to praise him. It's not that David didn't worship God, but here he's not even using this term worship, and yet he comes up with all of these reasons to praise God. Uh, we're called to praise him and to worship him, but to worship him is often a little bit more difficult. To make him the center of our existence is often a little more difficult, isn't it? So he says, uh, as far as the east is from the west. Wow, how far is that, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Again, the forgiveness of sins is one of these themes that chases its way through this psalm. He has taken away, removed our transgressions from us. Well, how far has he removed our transgressions from us? Well, as far as the east is from the west. In other words, you can be assured that you are forgiven 
by God. This is why the good news is so good. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This is why I, I, I wonder why people say, well, the God of the Old Testament I don't like so much, but the God of the New Testament, he's okay. Here you have God in the Old Testament being presented as a father of compassion and love that he, he uh, meets out on his children for he knows that uh, how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust uh, reference back to the book of Genesis. As for men, his days are like grass. So we have the last few days of summer, and we're starting already to see the leaves start to change and move into fall, and your grass is going to wither, and it's not going to give that nice green bright green grass anymore. It's going to get kind of brown. It's going to get kind of flat. And man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Life is frail. Life is short. He's trying to say the, the line between living and passing through the curtain to the other side is a very, very fragile line. It's like we're grass that withers away. It's like we're a flower that blooms and then it's gone. And nobody, where did it all, where did it go? Is it even there? And he's saying life can be like that. It's brief. And because of that, we need to, again, in his view, to praise the Lord, but from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, this life may be finite. Your life may be like grass. It may be like a flower, but God isn't. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. His love is with you and his righteousness with their children's children. In other words, their grandchildren with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. He's not so bad after all, is he? The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Now he's talking about even bigger things. Praise the Lord, all you his angels. So he's going to now conclude this psalm by telling people, by telling all of creation that they should praise the Lord as he does. So all you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, you who obey his word, you praise the Lord. You heavenly hosts, in other words, the stars in the sky, you his servants who do his will, you praise the Lord. All his works everywhere in his dominion Everything, everywhere, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And he ends his song. So question for you, do you praise the Lord? During your day, during your week, do you think about him and all of his benefits? Do you forget not all of his benefits? So it's five years uh, ago today that we launched this church and when I read this psalm, I thought, ha, ha, I kind of chuckled to myself. There's a lot of water under the bridge in five years. 
So I remember when we launched this church, we launched on Saturday mornings, not Sunday mornings. We were over at the other end of the hall. Uh, we had a different name. We were called City Reach Brossard. We launched uh, under a, uh, a network in the U.S. that was moving into Canada called City Reach Network. And uh, we launched uh, with somehow, some way in the middle of September 2016, Saturday mornings. What a strange thing. What are you? Are you a messianic church? You know, we know your pastor's Jewish, but is this a messianic thing? Why are you meeting on Saturday mornings, you know? And it was, it was so exciting and so frightening at the same time. And we met on Saturday mornings, and then there's all kinds of change that happened over the first couple of years. Uh, church planting is a real interesting ride. Uh, when you plant a church, basically what happens is within the first six months, uh, everybody on your launch team leaves your church. This is a common phenomenon in church planting. <laughs> and that happened to us too. Save one family. Only one family from our original launch team is still here. <laughs> a launch team is a team that helps you run the thing at the beginning, okay? Uh, and I remember when we, when we launched the church, we had 100 and, 166 people, I think, the first, the first Saturday. And you know what they tell you in church planting? They tell you, well, the second Sunday is that's when you really see. Because your second Sunday, you'll have half the people. So you could be all excited about your launch day, but your second Sunday, you'll get a feel for how many people are really going to be in your church. You're going to have half the people. And that's exactly what we had, half the people. But we had people. And there are people who still are here who uh, started coming when we opened. They're still here. I could pick them out of the crowd that's in this room right now, and probably some of them are watching online. And it's like, wow, where did these people come from? How did they hear about us? And they're still here five years later. You know, I praise God because people, God moves on people to make a church. Uh, a community of faith is built by people, and God moves upon people. You, you all could be doing something else on Sunday morning, right? You all could be doing something else with your own spirituality, but you make a choice to be part of a community of faith. About two years in, our, our network kind of went bye-bye in Canada, and we had to fly solo. We changed our name to City Point Church. We moved from Saturdays to Sundays and went over to the hotel. Remember the hotel? about 500 meters down the road just to take the whole operation, go to the hotel, change the name, change the day. We had to rebrand everything, change our website. By the way, at the beginning, and this is what happens typically when you plant a church uh, nowadays, is people want to give you money. And uh, the network that we planted with uh, wanted to give us money, and uh, uh, we raised money at the beginning. We launched out of Evangel Pentecostal Church in downtown Montreal, and they raised a bunch of money for us. And so, uh, you know, and the network wanted to give us money, and we, and we said, no, we don't want any of your money. We don't want someone just giving us money like that from a network. Our fellowship in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada wanted to give us money. We said, we don't want any money. If the church dies, the church dies. If the people don't give, the people don't give, and the church will die. But we don't want to owe people money. You know, we raise money. People give money out of their own generosity, and that's it. But we don't want any loans. We don't want any of that. And everybody looked at us like we were crazy. 
What's wrong with you? No church planter does that. <laughs> and trust me, probably if we were to do it all over again, we maybe wouldn't do it the same way. I don't know. But it's a really crazy idea. And we said, no, we don't want any of it. We don't want any of the money. And we'll just keep flying and see what happens. And so we got into two years, and things were working really, really well. And since the beginning, uh, we, because of City Reach Network, we developed a relationship with a large church in uh, Toronto, a church on the Queensway. And uh, this church has helped us so much with outreach events and this kind of thing that they have resourced. That's why we can do a back-to-school bash uh, every year. That's why we can uh, reach into an elementary school at Christmas time and give them baskets. That's why we can do some of the outreach stuff that we've done because of that church, which has resourced us so well. And so, at, you know, two years in, we switch and, we were, and we're at the theater or sorry, at the hotel, and then uh, the Cineplex calls us back, says, you need to come back here. We're very upset that you left. <laughs> we said, really? Okay, well, why do you want us back? Well, no, we can make it work. You come in on Sundays, we can make it work. We can make it work. And so we came back in on Sundays, and we went out and built a stage. We got this permanent stage here, and we're back here. And, you know, it's all these twists and turns in the road. And we start to see people get saved and we start to see change in people's lives. We start to see that we have become a real church, a real faith community. But that's because God moves on people, you see. If you don't have God moving on people, you have nothing. And we're really at the beginning here. There's so much more that we need to do. Most of Brossard does not know that we exist. In fact, most of Brossard does not know that the churches in Brossard exists, uh, exist. In the province of Quebec, uh, churches are relatively uh, invisible. And, uh, you know, this is a phenomenon that we live in in this province. But I can tell you, if you were to survey just this city of Brossard, 99.5% of this city does not even know that this church exists. So we have a lot, a lot of work to do. But you know what? God moves on people. And five years into the deal, we look and we scratch our heads and we say, man, we are able to do a lot of stuff five years in. We're able to, again, we just came on the heels of our back-to-school bash in a couple of months. We're going to reach back into that elementary school that we forge this relationship and we give them these kind of blessing baskets every Christmas. And we've done some other stuff at Christmas time and trying to find ways to reach into our community and actually make an impact and actually introduce people to Christ. But that doesn't happen if God doesn't move on people. And so I praise God for how he moves in people's lives. I praise God when I see new people who are discovering or perhaps rediscovering church. I praise God that I can look into a camera on Sunday mornings and there's people who are looking at me right now and people who are going to watch later or listen later and they're checking out our church. And maybe they're a little scared to come in here even though it's a movie theater, but it's a way that we can make ourselves known to people. I praise God for all those things because God works in those little things behind the scenes, doesn't he? And he moves on people and in people's lives. So I don't know if you make it a discipline in your life to praise the Lord. Maybe you do on Thanksgiving. 
or maybe you do at Christmas time, or maybe you do at Easter, and you reflect and you say, oh, I thank God for this, and I thank God for that. But you know, for David, it was a discipline. He, and he says to himself, praise the Lord. And he kind of kicks himself a little bit and says, you need to praise the Lord, David, because of all he is and because of all he's done in your life. And you know what will happen to you when you do that? is your perspective will start to change and you'll start to see things in a little bit of a different light. And you'll start to say, you know what? My life isn't as bad as I thought it was because I can reflect and I can see God's hand of power throughout my life in different ways, in different stages, in different places. I can reflect on him. I can reflect on his goodness. I can reflect on his on his being. I can reflect on his actions. And then you start to not be so selfish and not so individualistic. And you start to look at people differently and you start to look at yourself differently and you start to see the world a little bit differently than before. But that comes when you praise the Lord. So it is not a term that should be taken flippantly. It is not a term that should be mocked. It is a decision and a choice that can transform your life and your perspective. So on that note, I'd like to finish our, our service uh, in prayer today. Uh, musicians, if you want to come up and you guys can play whatever you want to play. And um, that'll give our, our sound tech some more some more ammunition to work out the squeaks and the bugs and all of those things, part of a portable church. But uh, I want to pray for you before we finish up today and uh, just feel so strongly that uh, perspective is everything, folks, especially when we're marching through and continue to, you know, persevere through this whole pandemic. You've got to maintain your perspective. And when your perspective is filtered through praising God, you are going to come out much better than if you're just walking through alone. Father, I pray for each person in the room today, those who are watching online, those who are going to watch, those who are going to listen. May we take the advice of David. May we speak to our soul and praise you. Lord, you never ask us to pray to praise you. You just command us to do it. You just tell us to praise you. So I, I, I ask, Lord, that we would be people who would obey and uh, that we would be people who would kind of kick ourselves and wake ourselves up and say, we need to praise you, God, for you are so, so good to us. Lord, you have been faithful to us as individuals. You have been faithful in our families' lives. You have been faithful even in our own church community as we continue to build. Lord, you are a forgiver of sins. You are a healer of disease. You are a redeemer. You crown us with love and compassion. You satisfy our hearts' desires with good things. You renew our strength and our youth, God. Uh, there's just so many things that we could stop 
and meditate on. But help us, Lord, to remember. Help us, Lord, to kick ourselves and to keep going and to keep our focus on you. May our children see it in us, God. May our children's children see it in us that we want to praise the Lord. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and amen. God bless you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday's beautiful Sunday. That's another thing that you can praise God for. I'll be out in the front here or in the hallway. Would love to greet you before you go. God bless you, everyone. Remember to pick up your kids before you leave today.